0: Subscribe and rate it five stars, and the greatest podcast. Whether you're listening or watching, remember, always keep it squatchy, yeah. And now your hosts, Cliff Berkman and James Bobo Fay. Good afternoon, Cliff. Good afternoon, Bobo. How are you today? Fair to middling. Nice. Could be worse. Could be better. Not a bad place to be could be way worse. Nice. Now, that's a good place to be, definitely, for sure. I wet my own ass today, so it's not all bad. All right. Well, if you had help, would that make it a better day? Is real question. <laughs> Some days. <laughs> Anything exciting going on? Anything you want to share with us?
1: <sighs> no. I, it's just boring down here. I'm just doing the chamber therapy and then this uh, hyperbaric chamber and then doing this occupational therapy for like making my hands work better and stuff.
0: Okay. And balance. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're in Southern California, just enjoying yourself down there in the weather and whatnot. So not a lot of big footing in your life at this moment, huh? No, just driving all over the place, paying too much money. Yeah, drive. What, what's gas
1: down there right now? Because the price of gas is going up, of course. I filled up yesterday. I found this one spot that was still
0: 525, and I went by today, and it was 605. Now, of course, California has a lot of taxes on top of that as well. I, I did see on the way to work today, I think we're at 446. Yeah, we're we're at five fifty five, I think average, but that's like oh, Bakersfield.
1: Baker's really you can still get up for like five or whatever, you know. So on the coast, though, it's more like six. Mm-hmm. That's just went up, you know, went up eighty cents yesterday or today
0: from yesterday or the place I went to. Yeah, uh, well, it's a discouraging world with all the trials and tribulations we're all going through lately. But thank God those oil oil executives get that giant bonus and they have record profits. Uh, that's no. the one thing that soothes me about all this. <laughs> soothing, <laughs> it's soothing to you. That's fantastic. <laughs> Enough of more, that. On more serious matters, Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And and this, of course, is uh, is going to be our monthly Q and A session, um, answering questions submitted by you guys, the listeners. Um, And we really, really appreciate that. And for whatever reason, maybe our listenership has gone up, but we've got a ton of questions this month. Um, So we've kind of gone through them and chosen a handful of them to answer because there's only so much time that we have. But please keep it coming. And if you like these kinds of episodes, you can help us by submitting your own questions. Go to BigfootandBeyondPodcast.com and and hit the contact or whatever button that emails us things and then ask us questions because these uh, episodes are fueled by you, the listener. So... Let's jump right into the questions. And Bobo, why don't you um, why don't you uh, take the first question and read it for us, please? Okay, this comes from Randy Magnus. I've been rewatching
1: Finding Bigfoot. How would you define Bigfoot on the brain? According to Renee, it's a pretty common condition. It is, especially with newbies and some vets. But it's it's uh, every bump of the night, every snap twig is a Bigfoot because you just you're so focused on that. That's that's what they think they're hearing and. And they'll even see stuff like, you know, a shadow that that was a Bigfoot. So, and I, I've, I've been guilty of it for sure at
0: times. Everyone has, every Bigfooter has done this. I think it's just safe to say,
1: but it's, it's good. I mean, it's good because, well, we just had Russ Jones on and he was talking about how, you know, he's like, hears a big crashing, uh, you know, a big crash in the brush a hundred yards away. He goes, ah, oh, it's too loud. It's, you know, and doesn't even go look. So you can also have the opposite,
0: like where you're so skeptical, you don't. Pursue everything like you should. Yeah, yeah. There should be a term for that. Um, I'll invite you to coin that term, Bobo. But uh, yeah, Bigfoot in the brain, it's just like when you go out looking for Bigfoot, um, there, you have to be very, very careful because you've already kind of preconditioned yourself to hopefully seeing one. You're, you're hoping to. And and when you combine pareidolia with your own force of will and all this other stuff, uh, a lot of people see Bigfoots when, frankly, there just aren't any there. Um yeah, and, and, you know, uh, it, it's like that Bible verse, you know, seek and ye shall find. Well, I always add on to that, saying seek and ye shall find even if it's not there. You got to be really careful with yourself. Bigfoot should be amongst the last things that you settle on as a possible explanation for whatever you're hearing or seeing, um, unless you're there's just no doubt. You know, if you see a bipedal hairy man-shaped thing going in front of your car in the middle of the night in the headlights, well, then obviously Bigfoot is, is a high candidate, you know? You don't have to say, was that was at a Wolverine. Um, but the sounds and whatnot, you try to eliminate everything there is before you jump on the Bigfoot conclusion. And it, I, I love what you said too, about, about the people who have the opposite, whatever that term is going to end up being, um, where everything's no, that can't possibly be a Bigfoot. That was too loud or well, Bigfoots don't care about your or my, um, expectations. Um, about what they should be doing or sounding like. They just don't care. They don't, they're not even aware of it, um, and I find that a lot of old timers, a lot of especially the horsemen, I want to point out the horsemen. I'm going to fault them right now. They've thrown out so many babies with their bathwaters because Bigfoots are, are in a place they didn't expect, or did a thing they didn't expect, um, or there's some little slight discrepancy. You know, like maybe it, the time of day was off, or the moon phase. What that wasn't a that wasn't a waning crescent. That was a you know that was a half moon or that kind of stuff. These little minute details. If any of that stuff is out of place. A lot of the old timers just throw the whole thing out. And uh, just g- the number of babies thrown out with that bathwater is just staggering. They're missing so much information. I think it is a far better practice to take everything into the data set. Even the stuff that isn't true or anything like that, like it, just listen to the stories and file it away because those outliers, the things that are not true will eventually uh, just kind of fall off on the side. That's the beauty of statistics.
1: So what I'm hearing um, there is you're calling the horsemen mass murdering baby killers.
0: No, I'm not going to make shirts that say that or anything. <laughs> um, but uh, I will say that I think that se- several. Of the, I think De Hinden was like this. I think uh, Byrne is kind of like this. Oh, for sure. Um, Green, I did. I don't know a lot about Green. I, I know Green took in a lot of reports that maybe he didn't know what to think of them. He just didn't automatically label them as fake. And Krantz, um, I heard he's gullible, so I'm assuming he didn't go that direction. He, he was called gullible by the other horsemen, by the way. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh, most <laughs> most. Notably, Renee de So I'm assuming that he believed in some things that Renee did not, and maybe that's the opposite, you know, of what I'm talking about here with the Horsemen. But um, yeah, it's just if, if it doesn't conform to your expectations, doesn't mean it's not a Bigfoot. You know, You're I right. think that's a big lesson to take away, especially from the Four Horsemen. Um, as great as they were, they were in the right place at the right time, and they were the pioneers in this field. But frankly, we just know a lot more about Bigfoots now than they did because they were the first people, you know, pushing that path into the wilderness. They were the first people studying this with any with any seriousness. And so they were learning everything for the first time. We had the now we have the benefit of everything they already learned, plus everything that's happened in the decades since then. So I, I would think it's safe to say we know a lot more about Bigfoots today than they did then. And it's just because of our place in history. We come later in the timeline. We're not any better or any smarter or anything like that. We just have more information than they had. Lots more good and bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, the next question is from Weston W. I was curious as to your thoughts and experiences with reports that include supposed Bigfoot eyeshine. Since, whoa, what is this word? Haplerine. I don't know what that word is. I got this, Cliff. Haplorine primates um, do not have the structure in their eyes that produces eye shine. This seems to be a contradiction. Well, man, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts on iShine, and I would invite uh, anybody to go to my website, cliffberrickman.com, and under the essays or research or something, I forgot how I file it. I don't go to my website. I forget. Um, I did a whole article on iShine and what I think may be going on, uh, just a possible explanation of what's going on with the Bigfoot iShine thing. And so, yeah, yes, Sasquatches, if, if they, well, let me say it like this. A lot of people report i shine with Saswatches. I have personally never seen it. Bobo, I know you have. You haven't seen it? I have no, never seen it. No. Dang. Not that I'm aware of. I've seen I shine, but nothing I would say that's a Bigfoot. So no, I just never have. And of course, most nocturnal animals have eye shine because uh, they have a reflective layer on the back of their iris. No, not their iris, their retina, their, the back of their eye, the retina. It's called a tapetum lucidum. Um, it's Latin. It kind of loosely translates to shiny carpet or shiny drape. And, and basically what it does, light comes in the eye and goes through the lens and then and bounces off of the tapetum lucidum in the back of the retina. So the light passes through the retina, then bounces off the tapetum lucidum and goes through the retina again, giving um, twice as much opportunity for the retina to pick up light and then send the signal to your brain and interpret it as, as images and whatever else. So the tapetum lucidum basically doubles the effectiveness of, that, uh, of the retina um, because it reflects the light back through the retina. Um, and, but if sasquatches have one of those, they're the only ape that does so. Um, None of the other extant apes, the apes that exist, and that includes humans, um, have this feature. I believe there is a small primate, like a tarsier or something like that, that has a Dipetum lucium. Yeah, one of them, right? But uh, Sasquatches would be unique amongst the apes if this was the case, which is problematic because a lot of times when we're looking at Sasquatches or any other animal, we look at what the other animals that are kind of like them have and do. So maybe they don't have it. And so I've got this other idea going about eyeshine, um, and I'll try to make it brief, but you know me. Sasquatches are just big animals. They're very large animals, and they have large eyes because of that. In fact, a lot of reports even comment about how big their eyes seem to be sometimes, which means that maybe their eyes are even bigger in proportion than, say, in other apes. Now, um, another interesting feature of Sasquatches, close eyewitness encounters rarely rarely, but sometimes, rarely report the sclera. The sclera is the white of the eye, okay? In humans, is white. Although I must note in other, in other primates, a lot of times the sclera is pigmented and it's like a brown or a yellow or like that sort of thing. Like you see that a lot in chimpanzees and gorillas. But I've also spoken to witnesses who saw the whites of the Sasquatch eye. Okay, so they may have a pigmented sclera, they may have white scleras, it's kind of up in the air at this point. Um, but because so few close eyewitnesses report a sclera, one can hypothesize and guess that perhaps the, um, the colored part of their eye, the, the brown part of their eye or blue or whatever the color of their eyes are, is so large that it takes it takes up most of the visual surface of the eye when an observer sees a Sasquatch at close range. Now, that, that, uh, that, that, the colored part is the iris, and it is essentially a muscle. And that muscle is for focusing the lens and also opening the aperture of the lens. In other words, opening the, 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 the hole in the eye um, where the light comes in. So it's like having a larger telescope. A telescope gathers the light that is there and focuses it on the mirrors in the back of the telescope or the lens in a refractor telescope. And that's how telescopes work. And the bigger the telescope, the more light it can gather and the the more you can see with it. So the larger the lens opening in in an eye, the the same thing, the more light it can gather. So Sasquatch is having bigger eyes to begin with and possibly a much wider um, uh, lens opening, you know, uh, for pupil opening, I guess, might be able to gather a whole lot more light um, than, than our, well, certainly they can gather a lot more light than our own eyes, but they might be able to gather a ton of light, like a, a just a tremendously efficient light gathering uh, capacity for their eyes. And that's where I think the red eye shine stuff gets really interesting because most, but not not even close to all, but most eye shine is like like, like a red or an amber color. Well, it turns out when you use flash photography um, and you take a photograph of somebody, sometimes you get a red reflective thing to their eye um, in a human being. And that's not because we have a tapetum lucidum like other nocturnal animals. Uh, But what, what that is is it's the blood vessels on the back of your retina reflecting back. So I'm kind of playing around at this idea that Sasquatches not only have a very large um, you know, p- opening in their eye, people are opening in their eye, but also their eyes could probably focus it a little bit better because, like owls, have a c- cylindrically shaped eyes, for example, and that that helps them with their night vision somehow. So there might be some sort of change in the Sasquatch eye shape that helps it focus the light better. But if if this eye can gather light. Um, Like I'm speculating, it might be able to. It might be what we might be seeing is actually just a reflection on the back of their retina without a tapetum lucidum, which is why it looks red in the blackest of night. Um, And there's some other ideas that kind of support this. Like for example, uh, under stressful conditions, um, one's uh, uh, eye opening the the um, the pupil there fluctuates. And sometimes people comment about how their, their Sasquatch eyes like started dimly and then got really bright and then got back to dim again. That might be a function of the pupillary opening in a stressful condition for the Sasquatch when it's being observed. Um, I've, got, I've got a lot of thoughts on that sort of thing. Um, but then again, I know a couple people, um, a couple really good witnesses that said, no, no, their eyes were creating light, which seems really weird to me. It seems about as weird as uh, your ear creating sound. It seems like it would actually blind you or deafen you, and, you know, the ears and eyes. Um, It doesn't seem logical to me. I'm open to it because there's a lot about these animals we don't know, but it doesn't seem logical to me, and I'm kind of waiting until I get more data points or at least see it for myself so I can make my own call. But I know two excellent observers who I trust, and both of them told me, it's like, no, there's something weird with their eyes. One guy even suggested it might be a secondary uh, um, eyelid of some sort, you know, like dogs or sharks have or something. Yeah. You know? But what, what are your thoughts, Bo? So I've been hogging the conversation, and I tried to make it short even. I'm sorry about that.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've seen, well, I thought I was seeing eye glow, which is uh, pr- you know projected from within, but there was a porch light on far away, but it was just like a single sixty watt bulb on the other side of this old land, logging landing, and there, that was the one where there was like a nine foot set of the biggest eyes up nine feet, and like you know they're the biggest eyes furthest apart. And then like there was another set about seven foot, another set about six and a half foot, and then behind the the seven seven and a half foot ones was small ones like I don't know five foot off the ground that would you'd see one come out then the other one would kind of come out about 45 degree angle above it. Like, so it was, it was behind the seven, seven and a half footer. The five footer was standing directly behind it and you'd see its eyes come out they'd blink and then go back behind. So I'm assuming it was the mom or an older sibling or something, but uh, there was a slight mist in the air and there was like going, coming out of their eyes through so the mist was like a greenish yellow, uh, light in the, in the mist. And it, it, I thought, no, it was too far from the house to, to, to have been lit like that. But now I haven't done a lot of experiments over the years. I, I think it definitely could have been that. But I did see on um, the Olympic Peninsula, and there was, geez, seven or eight people with me were uh, on a BFRO expedition in like 2007, I think it was. It was actually the spot Renee Renee from the show turned us on to. Um, we went there, and we, we had a – we all ran into like a group of these juvenile Sasquatches and there was like a purpley white glow out of their eyes. And there was no moon, there was star light out, but they were deep in the brush. And if you looked right at it, you'd kind of have trouble seeing But If you looked off to the side a little bit, then you'd, you'd see them real easily. And then the, a couple of the bigger ones, you could see even just looking straight at them, but you'd see them like, you know, like they they'd start, turn it like getting closer together and fading and then fade out you know as the head turned then you'd hear crunch 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 then you'd see him turn back towards you again you'd see him blink it's interesting because uh as much as humans blink these things don't seem to blink nearly as much as we do
0: hmm i'd love to see that hopefully someday i will hopefully someday i will i hope you do too it's because it's a trip yeah and I, you know what another thing about that eye shine I don't know if you were on the investigation with us Bobes, or if you were camping but it was during finding Bigfoot and we it was in West Virginia I think and we went to go talk to some long-term witnesses and I remember we didn't show their face on camera or anything Oh yeah 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 were you there and but they commented over the years they had seen uh, three different colored eye shines um, out in the dark associated with these Sasquatches that come some pop by their property um and Upon further asking, what we discovered is that each time the eye the, the shine was a different color. I think it was red one time and, and like a yellow another time, maybe amber, green. I forget what the other one was. But in each one of those cases, it was a different light source and, and in fact, a different type of light source. One was like an LED light. One was a halogen headlight, if I remember, because I think the, the car headlight swept across this thing um, as it pulled into the driveway. And another time it was just an incandescent bulb. So that's why I'm thinking it might be a reflection of some sort, because, um, yeah, be, because again, the, the eye shine or the reflection was different colored in each case with a different light source. Um, well, but you know and, what? And color subjective, too. I and mean, they've proven
1: scientifically there's no object, objective color, like, People see things in different ranges. Like the night that I was there, when we saw the four eyes sets of eyes, the, the dude with me was colorblind, and his girlfriend had normal vision but just terrible eyesight. But which had her glasses on, she could see all right. But it didn't affect her color vision. and just you know. Anyways, we all saw totally different colors. Hmm. They saw That's one of them saw orange red. I think she saw orange red. I saw
0: greenish-yellow, and then he saw whatever he—I can't remember what he saw. Well, you know, one of these witnesses, I mean, uh, I want to get him on the show, but he can't do the show from his house because uh, um, he lives in a place of bad internet connection, basically. Um, so I got to get him to the shop, and we got to gather around the microphone like I'm doing now here. But um, uh, he saw a Sasquatch during the day, and, uh, and, and he said the whole eye and like everything just flipped the red. Right away, and this is just from a few feet away from him. He was very close to this thing, and I completely believe him. Um, So I'll I'll get him on the show. He's seen Sasquatches a handful of times. He'd be a fantastic guest. So I'll try to get him on the show, and you can hear his account firsthand of this um, change in eye color, Um, and he witnessing the Sasquatch from less than five feet away. Like by the sounds of it, Um, wow, very interesting. And then what? Yeah, yeah. Then everyone always talks about the dormant bioluminescent genes in in the human eye in the back, like from way long ago. Yeah, see, I don't know anything about that. I've heard whispers of it or whatever, but I've never read any like literature or something on that. Yeah, I've seen a few things on it. Um, Doug Harchek knew about it. Uh, You know, yeah, Doug was one of the sources for that, now that I'm thinking of it. But, um, yeah, I'll I'll get back on that. I think I might have asked him for some sources on that, and he may have sent it to me. But I get so tired, just so I'm pulled in a million directions every single day. It's hard for me to stay focused. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Speaking right. of staying focused, got the next question there for you, Bobos. So go ahead and read it for us.
1: Jonathan Cook. If you went to a very high-activity area and spent a week-long investigation being totally toyed with by a Sasquatch for their fun and amusement... Would you ever try to punk the Sasquatch when you left the area? I mean, like leaving one of...
0: Dang, let me put on my glasses. <laughs> Surrender the things of youth gracefully. And uh, by the way, I'm wearing uh, my glasses, Bob. I wish I could take a picture.
1: These are like 99 cent store readers with one one arm broken off. They're crooked and
0: cracked and dirty and. You always had the best glasses. Remember when uh, you, you, like you, you bought the, um, like the, the women's sunglasses from the gas station and you didn't realize oh, yeah. it? Yeah, you looked great, by the way. You looked like <laughs> <did>. my aunt. <laughs> aunt Bobo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So he says, have you ever tried to punk the Sasquatch when you left the area? I mean, like leaving one of those cans that pop out toy snakes to be found and open? Oh, that's a great idea. Leaving a tent rig to fall apart and release a boatload of balloons? Or instead of a stink bomb, leaving something behind rigor with a perfume bomb to be opened, something totally off the wall and unexpected. Would you ever consider something like that? I am now. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you, Jonathan. You're a genius. <laughs> the thing about that for me is that I wouldn't be around to enjoy it because I'm leaving. But you know what, what I have done now is um, I have deployed the rubber chickens. Those work. Yeah, yeah, that's so I hear. So I hear from very reliable sources like Squeaky Toys and think of uh, Mike Green. So yeah, I've deployed the rubber chickens, but that's because I might be able to hear them later. I'm waiting to hear that wah, 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 wah outside my window at night, or um, in the location where we have a long duration recorder in a in an area of high activity and interest. Um, but I, I think that unless we can reap the benefits of it somehow, like get some sort of indication that it was triggered and and what the reaction might be, I don't know if I would do that. Just because you know, I, if it's if it's triggered and I don't know about it, it's just the same as it not being triggered at all, right? You know, but that's why I want some. I want something back from it, which is I think why squeaky toys might be a good solution to that. Um, instead of just coming back and finding that my my prop tent fell down. Well,
1: don't. I mean, I, I think that's a good idea to do that. If you're there to like listen and observe, you know, like you might hear, That's like, the like, difference. That's like the a, difference. Hear a scream like ah, he scared it. Just ah, like a Ned Flanner's
0: high pitched scream. Yeah, stupid, sexy, Bobo. <laughs> no, yeah, I think if we if we stayed around for a few extra days, those those would be great techniques. That's, that's the situation I would deploy those things in. Um, I wouldn't do it when I was leaving because I would want the information about what their reaction right. if it worked. Yeah,
1: I like, the, I like the snake, one of those pop-out snakes in a can. That would be
0: epic. <laughs> Unless you make it mad. That's good. I suppose. Yeah. 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 I guess that's always the thing. Try to make them mad, I guess, if you want some sort of reaction out of them. Yeah. But I don't know. I wouldn't want somebody making me mad to get a reaction. Well, I remember like, um, I was on
1: an investigation and the guys, with decided to leave pheromone chips there when we left. And I was like, that just was seemed like the dumbest thing in the world to me because of course they were gone when they came back. And so then they got a chance to now know that we put out things that That that's the smell that we put out, and they don't need to be investigating that anymore because they know what it is.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. There's that thing about cluing them in, but then sometimes they don't act like that at all. So I mean, like think about uh, how many sightings happen at gun ranges, you know, like the quarries and stuff out in the national forest. Of all places to show up to again and again, you think that would be one of them if they were like learning so quick about us? Uh, Good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I do think they're smart. I do think that, and honestly, I don't think they're as smart as everybody thinks they are. I don't even think people are as smart as everybody thinks they are, honestly. But um, like, it, it, you would think that they wouldn't go to those spots if what we're saying, like, oh, they're going to figure it out right away and never answer again. Well, maybe, maybe not. It's hard to say. They're weird animals. I'm not sure that I know much of anything about these things. I think it's a. I think it's a. The results are
1: directly related to how hard do they have to work for food where they are. When you're like, when it's the you know season of abundance and they got food left and right and they can sit in like a 30 foot square area and feed for a day. Uh, you know, they can get all their caloric me- needs met in like four or six hours and they are smart primates and they got time to kill. And you're, you know, right over the Hill there, like maybe a mile walk, which is, you know, mile walk for them would be like five minutes. You know, they come and screw with you or check you out, you know, but if, yeah. they, if they're yeah, working they're- for it, if they're if they're scrambling for food and having to cover large areas, they're probably not so
0: likely just to hang out and come back and mess with you. Yeah, I think it comes down to calorie intake, as most things do. You know, if they have the extra time, if it, it's, if food is easy for them, as you're saying, then you might be able to get messed with or something, and then get some interesting interactions going. But if you know, if it's all business, if they're hungry, they're going to be foraging, and they probably wouldn't care so much about us. Right. All right. Well, the next question here is from Jermaine Henderson. Why do you think that you two remain the closest among the four cast members on the show? Well, Bob's is, Bob's is adorable. We were good friends before it started.
1: I mean, we're still good friends with Moneymaker. We just don't talk to – I mean, if I was doing a podcast with Moneymaker, I'd, which I I'd thought about a, a lot, uh, I'd, I'd talk to him all the time. But I'm doing a po- i like, uh, – I'd still be in touch with Clip. But if it wasn't for the podcast, we wouldn't be talking as much as we do at all.
0: No, no, probably not this much. No. No. No, and it's funny because we talk um, on the podcast so frequently. Um, I don't call you outside of the podcast just to say hi. Isn't that strange? Yeah, we talk so much. We catch we catch up on the job. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're work friends. But I mean, we're of course we've been good friends for a long, long time. You know, Bobo's my brother, but and really, so is Matt. Matt's my brother as well, and Renee's my sister. Yeah, you know, it's just the way it is. We went, you know, we've we've fought in the Bigfoot wars, you know, together <laughs> essentially. <laughs> You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're veterans of that, of that finding Bigfoot thing. And, you know, we're going to be, remain close all of our, even if I don't talk, like, like Renee is a good example. I don't talk to Renee, but every probably four months or something like that, we, I might catch her for something, you know, I don't, cause you know, most of my friends are Bigfooters. She's not really into it. She's got her own thing going up there in Seattle and stuff. And I, I we just don't talk that much, but whenever we're next to each other, like, it's, it's like no time passed because no, she's my sister.
1: It's just, you know? yeah, it's. Because uh, I hadn't saw it when we went to West Virginia and filmed, I hadn't seen her in three years, and it was just like, like there's Renee, you know, like,
0: yeah, yeah. It's it's just another day, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of neat. We I think we all four of us have kind of graduated to that level of friendship and close closeness that family members have. You know, like we're we're essentially the Finding Bigfoot family, and that that even extends out to a lot of the production members who are we're still oh, I'm, I'm personally still in touch with as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just a Finding Bigfoot family. And and, and we all have our, you know, our tribes, I guess, and various circles that overlap this tribe, that tribe, that kind of thing. Um, But this Finding Bigfoot thing was really something phenomenal. And even our producers said that it was not like other TV shows in that sort of way, like the closeness and the bonds that we formed, um, I think will last a lifetime. I, I I truly believe that that you know I can Matt um, can call he can call me anytime, of course but he'll call me in in 10, fifteen years from now and I'm sure I'm still going to be in touch with Matt assuming we're both still alive you know right all right yeah. next one we got here this is from
1: Ryan Reading what is something you have learned about these creatures that you have never shared publicly before hmm. ah, well we used to kind of hold back stuff because you didn't want to. Put out too much info out there so people could fake reports, but that's that was twenty something years ago. Um, I don't think there's anything that I know about them that I haven't
0: said at some point in time. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but I think that the only thing that I I haven't really made publicly known is that I don't think that they're as smart as everybody else thinks they are. You know, which is probably shocking to everybody. Like, like but I think that actually people, I think that what what they can what they do. I mean, they're very, very good at what they do. They're very good at what they do. Okay, I, so maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know. They're, I think that the, the vast majority of things that other people say, oh, it just shows you how smart they are. I really, I think it's probably more uh, attribu- like you can attribute that to strength and their their um, perfect adaptation to their environment more than intelligence. You know like like I do think that they might be using language you know I, I'm there I, I I certainly think that they're thinking strategically I think that they may have some sort of concept of future and past and all that sort of stuff just like the other apes do I don't see why that wouldn't be something on in their docket there but I just don't think that they're there's their it's their intelligence solely their intelligence that um that has enabled them to remain in the realms of mystery for so long. I, I just don't think that they're, they're they're just as smart as everybody else gives them credit for. Um, I think that there's something else going on and nothing paranormal. I think it's very normal. And I think that um, to some degree uh, they, they're, they're, they're still shrouded in mystery because number one, Um, people underestimate them. And maybe I'm doing that now. And I fully admit that. I'm way open to that. But um, I think number two is more important. I think that we overestimate ourselves. Um, Maybe we're not as smart as um, we think we are. And that has more to do with it than the Sasquatch's intelligence. And certainly they're smart. Apes are smart, man. All of them are smart. All of us are smart. Um, But I just don't think that they come close to human level intelligence by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of that is because you can clearly see in their, um, in in like say Patty's um, facial profile that they don't have the brain capacity that they would need to be as smart as some people give them credit for, and they're they're almost completely missing the frontal lobe, for example, which is where a lot of that human stuff happens. You know, uh, we are human from c- because of our strange behaviors, and a lot of that weird behaviors that humans have happen uh, that humans exhibit comes from the frontal lobe but when you look at that that composite on Bill Munn's website uh, BillMunns.com I think it is or Bill Munn I forget what it is but look up Bill Munns you'll find them um, there's this wonderful composite photograph of frame by frame pictures of Patty as she turns her head towards the camera and turns her head away and at some a couple of those frames she's looking kind of uh perpendicular to the uh, to the camera um, so she's you see a beautiful side view of her face um, and what you see is that her face goes up and then her right above her brow ridge the head goes almost directly back in almost 90 degrees um, it's not quite 90 but almost 90 degrees which and, but when you look at a human that's not the case we have a big bubble shaped you know protrusion right there that's our that's our frontal lobe we have that they do not they do have big brains but with they also have a much larger body mass and with a larger body mass you need a bigger brain um you need a bigger brain just to make all your body parts function but they are missing. They do not have a well-developed frontal lobe., um, and that's where most of the human stuff happens. And there's so there's actually physical evidence for the thing this 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 sacrilege that I'm spouting now um that sasquatches are probably not as smart as people think they're. Um, there's actually, you know, some physical evidence behind that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that that's probably the thing that I, I don't share publicly very often. Well, they they um, have about two thirds the volume of brain matter as we do. Two thirds is uh, where'd you get that from, Meldrum? Yeah, Meldrum. Yeah, he goes into a little bit of this too. He points out very, very quickly that like, look at this. It's not there. And frankly, most of their head is probably taken up by the chewing muscles. I mean, you can actually see the, I think they're called zygomatic arches, which are the arches that kind of go underneath the eye orbitals. Um, Those are structures um, along with the sagittal crest. That's very famous. Most people know about that. Those structures Increase the surface area of the skull for the chewing muscles to attach to. Um, these things probably have a skull that is largely dedicated to chewing really fibrous foods. Um, the huge muscle mass, probably a huge uh, dental um, surface area, like the like the Paranthropus, paranthropus uh, uh, skulls have. Um, so I, I, th- I think that not a lot of that, not a lot of that skull is devoted to brain. Honestly, and sure they have a big brain. But that's because they're big animals, and the vast majority of that brain is just keeping themselves going. They are smart enough. That I, I do think that they probably um, have some idea of, of, of past and future. They certainly think on some level um, symbolically, because all the other ape species do, um, and that means our common ancestor did that as well. So that, but how much further than that is really the question? But they don't seem to have the human thing going because they, they're missing the human part of their brain. So how smart are they? Probably pretty smart, but I don't think it
1: approaches human. Yeah, it depends how many folds the brain has in it and the structure of the brain itself. I mean, it's like some of those birds, you know, like a raven or a crow, their brain's tiny, but they're
0: way smarter than animals with a much bigger brain. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on, and I certainly don't know. I'm not i am not going to die on that hill of what I just said. But, um, oh, but you I, might. I, <laughs> you know, it depends who gets pissed at me for saying it, you know, because I guarantee there's somebody out there right now. Maybe I'm looking at you, listener, um, whoever's doing this right now. Somebody out there is furious at me right now for saying that. And I don't know why. I, I'm, why can't I have my opinion and you just think I'm wrong, you know? They do. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm sure. <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, but why be mad at me about it is the question. So anyway, let's go to the next question here. This one is from Rich Werley. It's been a while since your last Finding Bigfoot episode, so I'm wondering if you're still feeling like TV stars or has life gotten back to normal? Still well, huge stars. Well, we're, we're giant stars, yeah. <laughs> we're giant stars. I can't no. go I can't go near a mirror without somebody recognizing me.
1: I never even think about being on the show. It doesn't even hurt <laughs> me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I never did really think of myself as a TV star because I didn't get recognized very much, which is fine. I remember um, when I, I, I made a comment to my agent one time. I said, like, yeah, you know, they said about,
1: I, I made a comment about being like, a, you know, like, hey, I'm on the D-list. But he goes, oh, and he was dead serious. He goes, no, you're, you're C-list, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm yeah, totally okay i okay with that. I was that. like, that's, that's pretty good. But no, we never we never thought of ourselves as stars. I mean, the other thing, I used to just get recognized so much and I got stopped everywhere I went. And now it's so rare, like once a week, once every two weeks, someone comes to me and goes,
0: bobo. And usually it, it's almost always... Almost exclusively if if they hear me talk. Yeah. Well you don't look very much like he did back in season three. No. No, you've lost all that weight, your hair's shorter, you're not always busting the hat. Got my tooth. <laughs> right. You got your tooth back, right? For example. Um I, I of course get recognized at the shop because I work at my I work at the business, you know, that I that I own. I work at the museum. Right. And people who come in here, not all of them, and actually a surprising They in and say, Lauren Colman. <laughs> yeah, Lauren Coleman, what are you doing here? Um fewer fewer people than you would think know that I own the shop. Um people come in and they say, "Wait a minute, are you that Bigfoot guy?" And I say, "Well, I'm a Bigfoot guy." So no that guy from the show. He said, "Yeah, so what are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm on display in the back. They, they <laughs> let me out of They let me out of the cubicle in the morning." <laughs> Um, but then I tell my own, it. and so I didn't know you own. It. And a lot of people come in, and they don't even know I, uh, that I own this shop, which is nice, you know, because I want the shop to be its own entity. I don't want it to be, you know, Cliff Berickman's North American Bigfoot Center. I want it to be the North American Bigfoot Center. And sometimes I'm here, right. um, yeah. But out, outside of the shop, I, I sometimes, every once in a while, I will get recognized, and to me, it's it's more of a it, it surprises me now. You yeah, know, because be I'm wearing a full beard. I'm probably 10 pounds heavier, and it's like, and I'm old now. So, because, um, you know, we, we were just, you know, spring chickens when we started that show at 40 years old or so. Um, but now I'm into my 50s, and I just look and feel different. So I don't know. I, I just, I don't really think about it, you know?
1: No, me neither. Yeah. Let's see what we got here. Carol Flores. Cliff, how many guitars do you have, and what is your favorite? Bobo, how did you become a roadie for Sublime?
0: Do you want to go first or
1: shall I, Bobs?
0: They asked you first. How many guitars do I have? Well, oh, not that many. I'm not really a gear guy, you know. I I spend my time, I don't invest in gear and cool pedals and amps and stuff like that and guitars. I just spend my time trying to learn to make pretty noises on it, you know. Let's see. I'm guessing if I include acoustics, um, I'm assuming maybe about seven or something like that. Um, I've got two seven-string jazz guitars. One's pretty funky. One's made by a guy named Saul Cole, who lives here in Portland. Actually, I've never met the guy, but I, I bought the guitar from Ron Eshtay, my teacher. I've got a um, you know a semi hollow body Epiphone that I was that was uh, gifted back in the day by a good friend of mine, A guy named Will, gave it to me. Mister was Mister Epiphone, Doctor Epiphone. Yeah, Doctor Epiphone. That's it. Yeah, he'd be a good guy to have on. You know, he saw the uh, Minnesota Iceman. Yeah. That yeah, he might be a good thing to do, but anyway. But back to the point, I've got a handful of acoustics. I got, but you know, I don't play a lot of these things. I sometimes guitars just come to you, and um, I, I think that uh, any guitarists out there can vouch for that. Sometimes you just end up with a guitar for some reason. Um, but I really, at this point, I really only play two of them. Um, I play, I've got a Taylor acoustic that I play It's a real pretty one. I went in trying not to buy a Taylor too, by the way, whatever that's worth. I tried to buy a Martin, but gosh, this Taylor just felt like butter in my hands and it it sounded pretty and I I liked it. So I bought a Taylor, um, and then, uh, let's see. Oh, and then my main instrument that I play most of the time, um, is a seven string, string, uh, um, Foster Basin street, uh, Jimmy Foster, who's now deceased, was a a great guitar maker down uh, north of New Orleans fantastic guitar player um and he did this most beautiful uh, arrangements and chord melodies of tunes and stuff um and you can you can go online and check him out on youtube or go to his uh his website i think it's jimmy foster guitars or something like that but jimmy foster's is, is luthier's name and guitars was his game and so uh that's the main instrument i play um, and I just absolutely love it. Um, so at the end of the day, I basically, if I'm plugging into an amp, I'm playing my foster. And if, uh, if I'm, there's no amp around, I'm playing my Taylor. So yeah, the Taylors have a nice sound. They, they have yeah, the real pretty sound. Yeah. I try not to ruin it by playing them, but yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, um, for me, the roadie thing was, I used to roadie for SST records when I was in high school and junior college, which was black flags label, like black flag descendants, who's going Minutemen. Well, a good buddy of ours, Tad, moved from Humboldt down for uh, three years. and moved to Long Beach in high school, and he was a total punker, like Mohawk and all this. This was like, I guess he went down there from like eighty-seven to I think no, no, he was down there eighty. Yeah, he was down there from eighty-four to eighty-seven, and he went to school with Brad and Eric um, from Sublime. And Tad always stayed in touch with them but when they started going on the road. Like their first trip, like. Uh, like little tours in their van, they, could, they would come up to Humboldt and I was a commercial fisherman, you know, and logging and stuff. And so I had flexible schedule and it was kind of more just, I wasn't like a guitar tech. I wasn't like when I wasn't like a professional roadie that, you know, I like knew how to set everything up properly and test the equipment and do sound checks and all that. I would just carry in some heavy stuff, try to round up as many good looking girls as I could during the show. <laughs> and then, uh, uh and usually, you know, you're doing stuff like kind of like, you know, your quasi security bouncer, like roadie guy, you're protecting the band from the crowd. But with that crew, it was like you were protecting the crowd from the Long Beach crew. <laughs> but I, I, did, I definitely did more with uh, Dub All-Stars after Brad passed away. The rest of the guys got together with the whole crew and formed another band called Long Beach Dub All-Stars. And I definitely spent way more time with those guys on the road and stuff. It was, it
0: was just a lot of fun. You know, I've got uh, two former bandmates that play for Long Beach Dub All-Stars now. Ed? Yeah, Ed. Ed Campworth, a fantastic bass player out of Long Beach. Um, played with him in a couple bands, but uh, most notably a band called Larry. Um, yeah, the name of the band was Larry. And, and of course, uh, Marshall Goodman who's um, yeah. a drummer in one of my earliest bands, uh, Horace Dolores. Dude, he's like the mayor of Cyprus or Cerritos now. No kidding, is he? Yeah, he's a smart dude. And Tim Wu...
1: The sax player, he's uh the sax player for Dub All Stars, he's a pharmacist, and then, this, and then the sublime saxophonist Todd Foreman. He's an actual MD family doctor. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, so some of those guys went on to like pretty big things.
0: Nice. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. All right, next question here. Uh is from uh Damien Summers, besides falling down the stairs in Florida and the boomerang to the ankle, did Bobo or any other team member receive any injuries worth mentioning during the filming or even when the cameras stopped when finding Bigfoot was on the air? Renee's neck. Yeah. Yeah. Renee got a, a pretty bad... Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's a long-term neck injury or something, but... Well, well, yeah, that's true. She was in the back of a car um, and we were going... A van, okay. She's in the back seat of the van, I guess. She has like yeah, a 15, sort 15 of thing. passenger van. She was in the far back row, yeah. And then we went over a pretty good sized uh, bump going pretty fast, so he, she hit the ceiling. Um, and that 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 put a semi permanent crick in her neck, I think, for a long time. I hope hopefully it's better by now. Me personally, I don't think I suffered any long term injuries or bled too much or anything like that. I mean, there's been there a couple physical. No, no, I, my my ego was bruised pretty bad when I found out that the London tracks were hoaxed. But um, that's okay though, because I've got a pretty good sense of humor, and I think being wrong is important. Um, after because I was on, you know, did a Finding Bigfoot episode and said, yeah, these aren't these aren't these are real, and it turns out I was incorrect. But at least I'm the one that discovered I was incorrect, and I feel good about that. But yeah. um, not physical injuries.
1: What about you, Bobo? Yeah, my worst one. ever was my back. I jumped. We were in New York, and we went where that guy saw the. Sasquatch crossed a really busy road. Like we couldn't believe it happened there, and and I was just coming down from doing the recreation, and I don't know what the hell was going through my brain, but I jumped down. It was a five foot embankment, and I jumped down and I landed. And I just stuck my leg out straight and just oh. landed with my knee locked, and it just herniated one disc, and um, I mean it herniated two discs and bulged another one, and pinched my both my sciatic nerves, and remember how much pain i was in Yeah,
0: you, know, you always had something going on with you man like you you live a very rough and tumble life always have and uh sometimes old injuries would resurface with you yeah but then also my my
1: dental problems from getting hit in the face with surfboards and then cracked teeth that way and then i got hit in the face with a broken crab block in a storm one time when i broke some other teeth so like those things got a couple of those got abscessed infected and that man that hurt so
0: bad that was the worst pain of all yeah, and, and that boomerang thing that turned into something long term as well. Right? Yeah, like, that yeah, actually
1: like, severed a tendon and chipped the bone. Oh, nice! Yeah, Moneymakers got the touch. I don't play. it. Was completely one hundred percent my fault. <laughs>
0: I was doing the whole thing like there's no way it's going to hit me if I just hold still. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that that boomerang thing, as I mentioned, turned into other things down the line. We were in Australia. You got hit with a boomerang, and we were in a fairly warm area, and it was a nice way. So it was kind of pseudo tropical, and it got infected. And then you, we had, then after that, of course, we had to go to Sumatra, and that didn't make your leg any better. Then you actually eventually had to go to the doctor. Which is a fantastic opportunity to do a Bobo story time. Well, gather around, it's Bobo story
1: time. Dude, he's gonna say some things that'll blow your mind. Classic. And if you say he's lying, he's gonna kick you behind. For sure. Once again, it's Bobo story
0: time. Any description of felonious or criminal activity is being told here strictly for entertainment purposes and is in no way an admission of guilt or even true for that matter.
1: Oh yeah, I got super infected and I have a history of bad infections because I'm one of those guys that helped develop MRSA. Like uh, I was in Tahiti and in 86, I was on the junior men's national team for the world championships for Outrigger Canoes. And I hit the reef and got a a tigris coral staph infection, which they gave me antibiotics for which I only took halfway, went on a trip out to Maria and uh, Outer Islands and was cruising around and partying because uh, when we trained from January 1st until the World Championships, which was in August, we couldn't have one beer the whole time. It was part of the deal. We all took an oath. So when we got done racing, we were just partying. Like we just turned it on and uh, we're just raging. So I, was, I went out on this trip and I left my antibiotics behind. Came back like four days later and ate all the, that I had left. <laughs> and it just did not help. And it turned into like a millenia bone infection underneath. And it morphed into this like, I know at Stanford, they'd never seen my exact, uh, the thing that grew in my leg, they'd never seen exact that exact thing before. It's
0: like cryptozoology, but like on the m- microbial level.
1: It, it, yeah, exactly. I was a petri dish. And so anyways, that, that caused problems for a long time. But it went away, but it would come back. If I went to the tropics and got cut, or anywhere like just nowadays, I got to be super careful. Like I, 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 I'm so careful about going in, so careful about where I swim, just because any little nick. If I have a little nick, it just gets infected, like nasty. But I went to the we went to the hospital. Chad Howell took me to the hospital in uh, padang padang,
0: and we went in there. And I remember everyone thought I was the the. Uh, God, what was that? They thought I was a pro the wrestler. Undertaker. The Undertaker. Yeah, every, all the all the local Indonesian people thought you were the Undertaker because of your immense size and long hair. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I look
1: nothing like him at all. But they all thought I was the Undertaker. So we go to the hospital. And this is when I was weighing like 310 pounds or something. And I, they brought me over to the scale, and it's like this big. Like there's no the windows are just holes in the wall. There's no screens. There's flies everywhere there's probably two to three hundred people in this hall just cramming because they're tiny tiny. I mean they're tiny people and they're just jammed in there so when they induct you whatever into the clinic you got to you know do your vitals and they when they went to weigh me the everyone the whole place went quiet and I stood I got up on the scale and it just goes and it shot
0: around and yeah, it's like one of these uh, analog scales. not a digital at all. Like the the kind with the dial that goes like a speedometer up, right? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, like the the whole dial. I'm not
1: exaggerating. It was like a giant clock. It was like probably three foot circum. I mean, three foot diameter, something like that. It was big, and the whole and it just goes, it circled all the way. It didn't go very high. It went to 100 kilograms, which is like 220 pounds. So then it, it shot past that, went back into like around halfway again the other way. And the whole crowd, everyone in the whole house was just like, oh, and just <laughs> erupted. The place just erupted. And I was like, holding my hands over my head and clasping my hands and giving the victory, like where you pump your hands over your head, like clasped hands, like hip, hip, parade. I was doing that. I was like, yes. And they're like, Undertaker, Undertaker. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had to pay to become a member. I could pay to be a one-time uh, guest, or I could be a lifetime member. The lifetime membership was three dollars and forty cents. So I'm now a lifetime member of that clinic down there. I can go back anytime
0: I want. Yeah, because if something really bad happens to you, it would actually cost less money to fly to Indonesia and get treated down there than it would be to go to a local hospital. Yeah, I remember when they when they were like cleaning it and wrapping it, like they were just shooing flies off it the whole time,
1: and then it never it never healed up because uh, it would uh just from doing the show like constantly having to wear like wear pants and socks and all that stuff i I didn't it didn't have a chance to heal up right then it lasted all the way through that infection Lasted all the way through the next year when we went to nepal and that's where i had the monk spit on it
0: you had that work out for you it got better did it do you think it was because the monk spat upon it didn't seem to hurt any well, good, good. Because it could have easily gone the other direction, I think. Because <laughs> they, 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 they still thought
1: in uh, Indonesia and Nepal, the villagers all thought that all sickness was demons and ghosts and that sort of thing. So they they, they, didn't, they didn't
0: even know what germs were. Well, certainly the hospitals do. I mean... Oh, the hospital do, but I'm talking about the villagers. Yeah, but out in the country and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hm. Yeah, remember because we, we got kept up all that because that couple the next house over had the flu and in uh nepal and the the monks were out there the buddhist monks were out there for 24 hours they got paid to for 24 hours to bang cymbals and shake dragon puppets and blow horns to scare away the scare away the demon out of the sick guy
0: is that what they were doing yeah i see i didn't even know that much i remember the noise but i didn't know what was happening they were driving away the demons yeah, I just, you know, you go to another country, I don't ask questions about like, you know, like, what's that about? I mean, I do ask questions about that, but like sometimes I just kind of like write things off and say, well, that's unusual. What's that?
1: Yeah, I got to say, I was a little nervous when the guy was spitting on it,
0: though. I mean, he spit yeah. on it a lot. Yeah, kind of surprising amount. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we documented that. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask, like, I know your mom. What did she say about that? She just shakes her head. Just shakes her head and says, "Bubs, Yeah. James. Where'd I go wrong? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh. Okay. Jay West. When are we going to get the Cliff and Bobo calendar? Ooh, good idea. I can see it now. Cliff and Bobo researching in the woods, just wearing Speedos. This is a moneymaker. Every other month you get Bobo, the other month you get Cliff researching in Speedos. I've never seen a Sasquatch, but hell, I'll just take me the calendar.
0: You flatter us, Jay West. I like our old-timey bathing suits. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can do that. The old-timey <laughs> bathing suits from the Oregon episode? Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, because I don't think I look that great in a Speedo. My wife might disagree, but I'm not sure I can handle it. I would do it, but my
1: chick would kill me.
0: <laughs> I would do it, but it's just something I would deeply regret the rest of my life. Dude, we'd, we'd never hear the end of it. Yeah, and you know what? From my experience of selling calendars, you only sell them in January and February. Oh, really? Well, so far, I don't think I think I haven't sold any this week. Uh, I'm gonna get one. Well, feel free to go to the North American Bigfoot Center website <laughs> and pick one up, Bubs. I'll even <laughs> drive up there. Got, oh, yeah. When are you coming up, man? When are you coming up?
1: Well, I just got my hyperbaric treatments extended an extra month, so
0: uh, okay, so later on in the
1: spring. Yeah,
0: burn gas is probably ten bucks a gallon. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I do like the old timey bathing suit idea. And as far as Cliff and Bobo stuff, um, we've thought about expanding our, our product line and we only have shirts and hoodies at this point that you can always buy at a uh, Sasquatchprince.com. Um, there's, they're always there and that we handful of colors. Um, we thought about getting a couple more designs, maybe some stickers. Um, I guess um, uh, Jay West would like some uh, Cliff and Bobo and Speedos calendars. Um, but if you have any other ideas for other products that you'd like to see that is reasonable for us to do, you know, think about it. Um, uh, Speedos let let us know.
1: My face on one side on one butt cheek and you're on the other butt cheek.
0: Okay, I would wear those. I would absolutely wear those. We could those. sell those to the public. Who goes on the front? Bigfoot, I guess, right? <laughs> Big something, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Hopefully, yeah, that might be an interesting idea. Yeah, so I don't. Maybe there's something you guys think that we should sell. I don't Coffee know what mugs. that is. Coffee mugs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can you know. You know that same place. Uh, Bigfoot and on Podcast and the contact button. You are welcome to tell us and give us suggestions for whatever you want, whatever you would like us to talk about or sell or or I don't know do. We have a couple of fun things we haven't announced yet coming up in the next couple of weeks. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks. So we've got a couple of things on the horizon we are looking forward to sharing with you, a contest and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, we're always open. We're all ears, man. We're all ears. We are here because you listen. What do you want to hear? What do you want us to do? We're more than happy to accommodate our listeners. We love you all as individuals. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. It's all right. Okay, and the last question for this month's Q&A comes from Daniel Robinson. And he asks, what is the craziest or most out there encounter that you have heard, but because of some evidence or consistency, you chose to believe? So what's the weirdest thing that I've heard that I think might be real? That we heard firsthand, or I guess that wouldn't count reading something. No, I think that counts. I don't see why not reading. Yeah, why, why not reading it? Craziest or most out there encounter that you have? You know what? Uh, the, 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 that's a hard question, but just like last month, somebody asked uh, a guy named Chuck, who, come, who comes into the shop. I know Chuck. Donut Chuck. Love the guy. Um, he asked uh, what was the weirdest thing we found in the woods, and I couldn't think of anything then either. But this case, the, the thing that jumps into my head is um, Sasquatches going into people's houses, and like, like, like poking around in their kitchen and playing with the sink and stuff like that. That's something that you don't hear very often that most people would just write off. But I don't see why that couldn't be true. And until, until I have a reason not to believe it, I think I, I, think I believe that one. I've heard that before. And I, I don't see why that can't be true in this circumstance. It doesn't seem that outlandish. It does seem strange, but not that crazy. Um, so I think Bigfoot's entering people's houses. And um, and poking around and doing stuff in there would be my answer to that. We know they go into barns, so they will go
1: into inhabited sites. And like uh, Brenda Harris down on the Navajo Reservation, they went in her. She has an old big travel trailer, you know, like that you can use, you, know, you can live in pretty much. And went in there and took some food out. So we know we know they're going to structures. And oh, the place where I saw the four sets of eyes I talked about earlier—that place outside of Orleans, down below Bluff Creek—the porch. It was like a single wide trailer with like an addition built off to the side. And on one side of the single wide, was like basically the front door. It was a sliding glass door and it had a really big buff deck that was built to hold a hot tub. So like, you know, it was built to hold a lot of weight and there was, uh, we were, we were baiting the Sasquatch or gifting, whatever you want to call it down in front of the, another trailer down lower on the property where I'm pretty sure they were sleeping. Cause, uh, that's, uh, that gets me so mad. when I think about, Uh, that's one of the spots I collected poop and the hair samples that all disappeared when I turned them into the, um, I don't know what kind of, it could have been bear hair. I mean, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, when we came back one day, there was big greasy hand, giant handprint smeared down the side glass door. And the side glass door was opened. and Then inside the trailer, the whole floor was collapsed down to the dirt, like a three foot drop. And something had, Whatever, the squatch had come in. Uh, and we think it was the big giant one because it collapsed the floor of the trailer. And then it re- it was able to reach, and it was something like 13 feet away. It was able to open the fridge and pull out all this uh, – because I was fishing, so I had a lot of salmon. So it was able to reach across and pull out all the salmon and a couple other things we had in there for it and took it off. So I know, I know they're going into uh, domiciles like that. But as far as the craziest thing I've heard that I believe – uh, probably this one biologist I spoke to who saw one walking. He had the f- uh, photographs of the footprints in the sand, like full classic squash tracks, 17 inches walking ac- across a beach. They're it just made fresh. I mean, it was perfect conditions for moisture content in the sand to make the perfect prints. You know, you could see all the detail and they just stopped. And he said he was sitting there. And he was a Native American. This was in the Queen Charlotte Islands. His grandmother had just died. He went down there to, you know, pray to her and all this. And this bigfoot walked was walking up the beach and just disappeared right in front of him. But he was had a master's degree in biology, and he he was real, uh, real believable, real compelling guy. Yeah, that's kind of a weird thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard all kinds of
1: crazy stories. I think, I mean, a lot of these crazy, crazy stories, I think they could be true. Like um, the guy, one of the biologists for the Yakima tribe, swears that he got chased. like right, I don't know if anyone's been to the Yakka reservation, but where the train tracks are, uh, just past the casino, he was driving in this thing, was running next to his truck, and it was bending down, looking at his window, and he was going 55, and he sped up to 65 miles an hour. And he said it ran next to him and it jumped over his truck, like just straight jumped and landed like 35 feet away on on, on up on the, the train tracks are an embankment that like go about 10 feet in the air, and it landed up on the, near the top of the embankment
0: still had a run and kept up with it. Hmm. Well, you know, in a lot of these things, uh, I, I hear a lot of stories from people who are more paranormally bent than I am. You know, like they think that Sasquatches are whatever they think they are, but not not what I think they are. Um, and I don't think those people are... are are lying to me. Well, some of them I do, but, um, and some of them I think are mentally ill too, but some of those, uh, a good number of these people, I don't think they're lying to me. I think that they're telling me the truth. I just don't think that what they're describing is Sasquatch. I just think that there's something weirder going on um, that would be more than happy to disguise itself as a Sasquatch at some point. Um, So I want to point that out, too. So I I do believe that some of these people are getting voices in their head and whatever else. I just don't think that they're Bigfoots talking to them. But So um, when I read the question, I was just thinking Bigfoot stuff. Um, so I wanted to make that clear that some of these people who think that uh, Bigfoots are doing these you know paranormal things, I don't think they're dealing with Bigfoots at all. But I think some of them, at least some of them, are telling the truth. So I want to point that out too. I talked to one guy that I totally
1: believed who's um, he had a crate. I can't believe I, I lost his contact info. This is about ten years ago, but he was hunting. Um, it was in the same uh, watershed, Turwer Creek, up and off the Klamath River, down near the mouth on the Klamath Reservation. I mean the Yak the Yurok Reservation. We were logging up in there, and it's it's a rugged, rugged spot. That's where I got the chainsaw through my knee. But he was way further up, and he shot a deer, and he was tracking it. And all of a sudden, these huge prints come out. He couldn't; they weren't clear tracks. I mean, like you couldn't see toes, but they were like big impressions. He's like, "What the hell?" And then the blood was up high on a rock face. You know, like whatever eight nine feet in the air like where the thing got picked up and he tracked it. And I, I can't remember the whole story, but he had a crazy encounter. And then when he put his rifle on the thing, it, it was a big, big buff male and it just screamed and it jumped up. And he said it, it made contact with the cliff face, like 25 feet in the air or something like that. Like just something crazy sound. And he said, it just took its hands and jammed him into the face, the dirt embankment and, threw himself up and like stuck his feet where his hands had poked holes and it flung itself up, jammed its hands back into the cliff face, pulled itself up like a pull up, but flung itself like another 10 feet up. And it went up. He said it took less than four seconds for it to scale a 90 foot bluff and go over the top. Wow. That was pretty crazy. But I, I believe that guy, He, I talked to him for, I talked to him, I had his number. I, caught, I talked to him a few times after that and, he was real compelling, and he was had a great reputation. I knew people that knew him. He was a no nonsense guy, you know, hardworking. He was he was also a logger, but knew the woods. So that was, that was a pretty nuts story. I mean, but I've heard so many crazy stories. You know, and, and uh, you hear a lot. Um, I've heard some really good some really good ones on West's show, Sasquatch Chronicles, and there's a few other
0: uh, Bigfoot podcasts where you hear some pretty nuts stories. Yeah, There's a lot of stories out there, ton yeah. of stories. You know, uh, one of the things we're talking about is Sasquatches is entering uh, buildings of some sort. And it reminded me of a gentleman I interviewed many years ago, uh, David Bean, um, who was a, a colleague of, of Freeman and, and Summerlin right. and Bill Lowry and those guys. And then um, I just – he – Tracked a Sasquatch. He was an excellent tracker, um, and he had a number of original Sasquatch prints to prove it. Actually, but um, he tracked a Sasquatch, and it was apparently hanging out inside of an abandoned schoolroom down below five point, or a school building down below Five Points, Washington, outside of Walla Walla for a long time. But I just heard this past week that I, I believe that uh, David Bean has passed away. Um, so that's a sad note for the Bigfoot field. Um, I think he did. Yeah, kind of an unsung hero of of that early like early nineteen nineties bigfootery that was going on out in the blues. So it's a little bit of sad news for all of us. Um, but yeah, so I want to bring that to the forefront as well. And I, I guess one other thing before I, I before we uh, close up this episode is I mentioned uh, that question uh, earlier from last month, and I said I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you. Um, and I think the question it was from Chuck because I happen to know Chuck. He comes into the shop, Donut Chuck. Um, he uh, asked, "What's the weirdest thing we ever found in the woods?" And I, I think I have an answer now. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. My friend uh, Bob Easton and I. Bob is a fantastic musician and an absolutely stellar band down in LA. Um, he's, uh, I think, he, like the head of some uh, like music school put on put together by Flea from the um, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Norwood from Fishbone and um, uh, what's it uh, Forest, uh, Bob Forrest from the Thelonious, from Thelonious Monster, and all mm. those guys, they got together and have a um, a, a music conservancy in um, in Watts, and Bob is the director of it. Um, but he and I would go bigfooting sometimes up a Bluff Creek, and we weren't we went looking for Bigfoot. But one year all we found was the largest sock I've ever found in my life. It was just huge. The the sock had to be like maybe ten inches, for, you know, sideways and, and like two and a half three feet long. It was the most staggeringly large sock I've ever found. We only found one, so which means that obviously because we're looking for Bigfoot, not big feet. But um, I thought it was ironic and peculiar that we found such a large sock when we're looking for Bigfoot. Right. So that was my answer to that one.
1: God, yeah. I know I found some weird stuff like what i'm trying to think i mean i found all kinds of weird stuff especially when we were logging we'd find weird stuff because we'd be Mm -hmm. in really remote weird like out there places but um weirdest thing i found in the woods gee
0: (laughs) an old suitcase full of sex toys wow i didn't expect that (laughs) i'm glad i wasn't on that trip with you (laughs) yep yeah, that was probably the strangest thing. <laughs> okay, well, with that, I suppose we should close shop here. So, um, you have any uh, anything coming up, or anything you want to share with us, Pobes? I got a couple things I want to point out before. Uh, before I know, we close I know there. you
1: got coming up. I know one of them is Estes Park, the Colorado Bigfoot thing coming up in April. I know you're doing that. That was a, that was such a good one, man. I, I had so much fun at that place.
0: Yeah, it's partly because of you that I'm doing it because I heard such great things from you uh, about it um, that I thought I should do it if I was invited. And lo and and behold, I was invited. Yeah, so I guess that's the weekend or Friday or Saturday of April 1st and 2nd, I guess, at uh, Estes Park. It's Estes Park Bigfoot event. Um, That'll be a lot of fun. And then at the end of the month, um, I'll be going to the Ohio Bigfoot uh, conference as well. Um, I think Matt and Renee and Meldrum are going to come. So, Bobo, because you couldn't make it, they got the runner-up, Dr. Jeff Meldrum.
1: Uh, Those people got screwed. Yeah. Well,
0: (laughs) it's just a different kind of lecture. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, Meldrum is, is, is of course, fantastic. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's what I've got coming up in April. What did you
1: say? Reggie Boyd filled in for Moneymaker when he wasn't available, so maybe he could fill in for me at Ohio. <laughs>
0: well we'll talk about that when we have a uh, Reggie on the podcast. All right. Well cool clip. That was a fun one.
1: We got some good questions. I uh, keep them coming folks. We appreciate it. We want to answer any questions you got if we can or give some insight. So keep, and, keep those questions and, coming in. And
0: again, of course if you want to submit questions for us to possibly answer on air, send it to well go to basically go to our website which is bigfinobionpodcast.com. Hit the contact button and just send it on in to us. I love that we had a guitar question. We had uh, some other Finding Bigfoot questions. We had a bunch of interesting questions this time, and we're looking forward to next round as well. So if you have something for us at uh, www.bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and send us a note, ask us a question, and perhaps we'll read yours on air next time.
1: Yes. All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in. Hit like, hit share. Um, tell your friends and family. And until next week, keep it squatchy.